Welcome to Building a Better World, a podcast that investigates the intersection of the metaverse and how we can apply these technologies to improve people's real lives and enhance humanity. The metaverse is more than a web of networks. It is an unfathomable life-shaping tool. And we, our friends, are here to dive headfirst into the way these technologies can improve our life and the world around us. I'm your host, Rish Lotlakar. Get ready to discover how we can build a better world in three, two, one. Hey, how's it going? It's great to have you on, Andrea. Pleasure to have you on this show today and, and would love to hear more about how you're building a better world. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to have an opportunity to speak with other industry leaders about how technology can really fix problems, real life necessities that we have as we enter what a lot of people think is a difficult year, but actually a year that's going to be helped by a lot of innovation. Yeah, I thought maybe as a starter, we can hear more about kind of how you got here, what your you know backstory is. Tell us more about your life and you know how you kind of started all the things that you're doing. So I was in the retail industry for a long time. I got into the idea of founding Fijicode came out of me uh, becoming an investor in the blockchain space as early as 2017. And when I realized that the blockchain industry could really solve some real life problems in the retail and fashion industry. I remembered that in my retail career, we were severely disrupted in the late 90s by the advent of e-commerce. And there was a real disconnect between what the physical brands needed or wanted from the technology and what they really did with it at the beginning. I was in, in a career that I didn't intend to be in. I was actually trained as an engineer and an architect and ended up in the retail property space as an executive of a very, very large multinational company. We own millions of square feet of retail and we own some of the best stores in the world. In the United States, we were very dominant. And so we would deal with anybody from Walmart all the way to, to Louis Vuitton. And we understood as a public company, we were very driven by NOI, FFO, all the wonderful things that make brands and fashion succeed or not succeed. And the advent of e-commerce and technology changed the way they communicated with their audience and mm -hmm. with their customers. And having lived through that transition, when blockchain became an opportunity for brands and, and for retailers, I started to make the connection between a lot of the leaders that I was very fortunate to meet early on and executives from the retail world. And I realized that the transition well, it was happening a little faster. It needed a little bit of the same deciphering and the same creation of a rule book for how to really focus on the things that the technology can do, because otherwise new technologies can be feared sometimes, or they can be seen as, as an unnecessary cost. So that's really why we created Fidgicode, was to create a bridge between the potential of the new technology and the early adopters to see how we could really pave the way for, for mass adoption. Wow. That's such a interesting story of kind of how you evolved to come up with this solution. Well, a lot of people are still kind of, I think, wrap their heads around where we're entering in terms of the metaverse. What was your, the core kind of aims and goals or values that you had when you kind of started Fidget Code in, in terms of, you know, what you wanted to get across to brands? 
I think the first decision to create Fidgicode, and, and I was not interested in creating a new business. I was a co-founder of an incubator. We were doing a lot of retail tech investment at the time, and we were very focused on technology for solving problems in retail and fashion. So new technology for inventory management, solving POS systems, lack of lack of transparency for shop and shop activities, for consignment, a lot of the things that also led to circularity. I was trying to expand the opportunities for movement of inventory, fashion inventory, that sometimes the only option for, for brands is to sell to liquidators. So what what all the alternatives? How do you create new opportunities? And you know, we, we saw that the technology was really solving a lot of the issues, but some of the issues couldn't be solved because the technology wasn't there. The problem is that technology like blockchain, or even I know we're going to get into the conversation about the metaverse, requires education. And education mm-hmm. takes time and money, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we said is instead of having these very long calls with executives of the brands where we're trying to teach some, you know, 10 years of cryptography in, in one hour, how do we make it more practical, right? How yeah. do we take a rule book of the brands know, all kinds of brands, consumer product brands, food and beverage brands, hospitality, fashion. How do they think about what we used to call customers, right? Their community, their target audience, and what are their problems they have? And if we can solve those problems and say, if we could tell you that transparency, traceability, authentication can be solved with this technology. If we were to tell you that you can expand your community, you can increase your market share, you can expand to communities that you never thought were possible, would you invest X amount on a new technology, would you give it a try? And, you know, I spent a lot of my career really working on cross-border extension for brands. I was an executive of a very large public company and then as an advisor to retailers, both in Europe and in the U.S., I focused on cross-border expansion for over a decade. And so we, myself and my team, we created a lot of methodologies for educating executives Mm -hmm. on New countries, you know, mm-hmm. I was one of the first executives from an American multinational company to expand in Brazil wow. at the time in the mm-hmm. early 2000s. We were looking mm-hmm. at expanding, buying malls, building malls in India, in China, in Russia, in Brazil, and in a lot of places where American brands had not been. So we always had to start with saying, how do we belong in this new world, in this new community? Mm-hmm. How does the shopper shop here? How do they consume fashion and product? Because you can't mm-hmm. just come and do it the same way. And I learned a lot from that process because even going from the US to the UK or to Europe and vice versa, advising European brands on how to expand in the US was a process. And so I decided if we can learn from that process and think of the metaverse as a new world, as a new channel, you know, brands are very versed on omnichannel. And so why don't we produce a similar methodology for a new channel and a new way of relating to community? Mm-hmm. And that's really how we started. Wow. You know, you brought it up, the big word here, the metaverse that, you know, I think a lot of people in the mainstream are very curious about. I think Facebook's, you know, name change to Meta really brought that into the public consciousness. I'd love to hear, you know, what's your kind of first relation to that word? When was that something that you started thinking about? Kind of how did you, you know, first react to it? Tell me more about that. 
So it's interesting because, well, I was very involved with some amazing, now very famous blockchain people as early as 2017. We talked about Web3. The person, I believe, coined the term is one of the, the first reasons I got into Web3, but never really Metaverse for me. For me, Metaverse really started closer to 2020. I was reading about it, but I have to say my first experience with it I think the first time I bought my first Oculus goggles, I never turned back, right? And so for me, it was seeing that after 25 years of seeing how much we could do with so little, if you could have this amazing graphics, this incredible feeling, right? Retail, fashion, hospitality, the industries I'm, I've been involved with for, for the last 25 years are all about emotional connection, right? And so if you can create an emotional connection sitting from your home with VR set, that's when I started to really study the metaverse and think carefully of the potential. Most people probably don't know this, but I have a disabled brother who is now an adult with Down syndrome. And the kinds of things that he can do with his mm -hmm. physical limitations from home, particularly mm -hmm. during the pandemic, the experiences he was able to have as a child and as a young adult with, with us, with his family, mm -hmm. that he can no longer have are extraordinary things to metaverse activities and virtual worlds. So I see beyond my the industry in which I'm most versed, I see the potential of the metaverse for education and for really creating engagement for marginalized people is extraordinary. And I think it's, I hear sometimes people saying the metaverse is dead. I said, you can't, something that is just at the beginning and has changed the way we look at the world cannot be dead. It's I can't wait to see where we're going to be in five or 10 years, because I think it's just so extraordinary where we are already today. So for me, I would say it was the first time that I put on a set of VR goggles that I understood the metaverse. And it wasn't just because of the graphics and it wasn't just because this incredible experience. It was the applications that you could do. It yeah. was sitting in my home and having a conversation with someone else through my goggles. That, that really changed it for me. Yeah, I get you there. Because I remember the first time I was in a pair of Oculus was, I think, 2014. And I just opened my eyes to the, the possibilities of, you know, VR. And then, you know, consequently after that, AR as well. Just, you know, at Superworld, we're really focused on regardless of any type of content, but more so, you know, how do we impact your reality, your the real world, things you're doing in the physical world. And so again, the technology and and especially with as you related to the goggles, that really kind of opens a lot of people's eyes to what's possible. What, what else do you see in terms of, you know, I think you alluded to some things about giving people that, you know, don't have access or the abilities to kind of get to know the world around them. It kind of opens up new worlds as it relates to fashion and brands. What, what are other, you know, benefits that you see potentially even over the next few years as this technology transforms, where are we going with the benefits of the metaverse? So I think in general, all the Web3 technologies, right? And, and regardless of how mm -hmm. you define Web3, the, the, mm -hmm. the state of, of what I call the spatial web, mm -hmm. I think in Davos in my keynote, I said, I, I'm not going to talk about NFTs or Web3 or, or metaverse. I'm going to talk about the spatial web because we've had the most people in the audience 
in their lifetime remember either they were born with the internet or remember when the internet was born. And I said, you know, now we're in the next internet and we have spatial web capabilities. So for me, when I look at the technology, there are two very important things. One for, for retail and fashion is the utility. So it's not all things for all people. There are brands, a lot of independent brands and designers who do not have the ability to continue business as usual. This is a lot of the work I do as head of a strategy at Faith Tribe, the ecosystem that we're building there, it's really to teach all the independent designers and, mm -hmm. and brands around the world that don't have access to the technology in a big way, how in a small way they can use it. So nowadays with the metaverse and with some of the technologies that mm -hmm. are more utilitarian, you can create digital samples instead of tremendously expensive physical mm -hmm. samples for collection. Yeah. You can use it to showcase it in a metaverse, in a virtual world of your choice. There are a lot of different choices, some more photorealistic, some more inclined to creating community engagement and to express the message. You can create connections with community and you can create connections with buyers. And then you can use a lot of your digital assets to convert them to the types of files that you need for on-demand manufacturing so that you're not manufacturing a lot of product up front that may not that the buyers may say during a fashion show, a New York Fashion Week, we don't like this product. We want different colors. We want different materials and not making a lot of product up front before it's bought or committed because that also is not a very circular way of looking at fashion and the fashion industry, the apparel industry in general, the retail aspect of apparel has a bad history when it comes to sustainability. And I think that's not an option anymore. It's something that as businesses look carefully at the whole ecosystem of the product, Understanding what happens to that unsold product is going to be very important. I think it's also a cost issue. And I don't think that brands were taking it as seriously before. But I think mm -hmm. that now, given mm -hmm. that we are going into recessionary periods in some mm -hmm. parts of the world, mm -hmm. and there are some limitations to what you can do with the product, both the technology for design, manufacturing, traceability of the product, as well as the virtual world experiences will offer a lot of solutions that are really going to make opportunities for brands that otherwise may not be around for much longer. The other aspect of it is access. I mean, I used to say in 20, I think I always get asked in panels and and keynotes, what's your word for the year? I think for 2021, my word was access. It was the mm -hmm. first time that I said, you know, Web3 and the metaverse are giving access to people all over the world. I could write a book on how difficult it was to create a cross-border expansion for a brand, how difficult it was to really study and understand how to build community in a new country, a new region. The level of access you have with virtual experiences and virtual worlds is extraordinary. So I love what you guys do because this idea of, of bringing real-world impact it's huge. And, and it's also a great education. You know, you used to have to go to places to really study a lot of things and spend a lot of time. So I do think access is a big word that's still very much effective for fashion. It used to be very difficult for a very talented designer in South America or in South Africa to connect with a fashion brand in Europe, for example. Nowadays, those barriers are becoming much smaller and they'll be gone soon. So the, the the open sourcing of talent is extraordinary. And that to me has been extremely disruptive and very exciting, to be honest. 
That's awesome. I love that. You know, I think that one of the things that excites me the most about the idea of the metaverse is that brands specifically, you know, have the potential now to go very global in terms of their strategy. And the other thing that's interesting is that there's this potential of metaverse first brands and products, you know, where a creator can look at a brand that maybe is established already that's a web two or traditional brand and think about what is the metaverse first or native metaverse product that potentially has advantages that this legacy brand unfortunately is not able to you know fully capture i'd love to hear your thoughts on that in other words you know we have listeners here that are creators that are business owners again our our focus is you know on on helping people to build and create and what do you think of that concept of of someone thinking hey you know what i'm going to create a metaverse first brand of this web2 brand that we all know about and go global and use all the things that you just mentioned as advantages that may, maybe they can't fully capture cuz they're they're going from web2 to web3 you know, that's such a great way to put it, because I think there's been a lot of focus on Web 1 to Web 2, Web 2 to Web 3. I joke with people that we're barely a Web 2.5, right? And I know <laughs> yeah. a lot of people are saying that, but it's true because there are a lot of things we want to do. Look, there were a lot of things we could dream of when I was already in the working world that we couldn't do because we didn't have the technology. There were things we wanted to do with content, but you couldn't do the kind of video streaming you do today on a dial-up connection, right? So we needed to wait until we had the right technology. So I'm big on infrastructure. I'll start by saying that I believe that infrastructure development is key to adoption and to really maximizing all these concepts we're talking about. The fact that there are people around the world that still don't have access to internet or the tools, you know, if you don't have the tools, you can't have access to all of these wonderful things we're talking about. So I'm personally, uh, outside of my business, is very involved in, in, you know, trying to advance infrastructure development is one of my passions, is one of the things that, you know, we're in certain parts of the world where people have been marginalized with lack of access to, of course, banking and, and education. Mm-hmm. And, and the, but how about access to product to understanding how to buy things because they don't have the same access that you and I have to the tools to the internet. Once you provide the access, the sky is the limit because it's, you know, if you have access to the internet, then you can learn about virtual worlds. Virtual worlds, metaverses, a lot of the technologies we're talking about have a unique advantage of coming with a building of community. So, and, and I'm a big fan of the gaming industry. I tell all my friends in the fashion industry, If you're not embracing gaming, if you're not studying gaming, if you're not studying how the the gaming, the successful gaming companies are succeeding, you're missing out because there's a component about gaming. And I'm just a student of, of the gaming industry. I can't say I was in the industry before. That is fascinating because it's a different way of building community. We used to talk about customers in retail and fashion. We used to count rooftops. Right? You would go to a new region. How many rooftops of people with X amount of household income that can come and buy this product? Then there was the internet. Then it's like, okay, where are these people? These people are mobile. 
Now we're talking about a new world. How many people are playing this game at times of the day when we didn't think they were playing? And what brings them together? So that sense of community, this sense of consuming fashion, consuming experiences differently, it's very important because to your point, it's a new way of looking at product. And there might be some metaverse native brands mm -hmm. that are born as a result of people with the same values, with the same vision that come together under this new umbrella, this new way of binding together. And mm -hmm. they buy product because this whole idea of peer-to-peer -peer validation we learned mm -hmm. with Web2, it's not completely different in Web3 because mm -hmm. the, you are the peer, you are the creator, you are the product. So mm -hmm. to, to give you, without giving away too much of what we're going to be rolling out this year, I'll tell you Metaverse Fashion Week is coming okay. and I'm a creator. But I said, I don't want to bring a luxury brand and make a copy of it for a virtual world because that doesn't teach my peers in the fashion industry the potential. So I'm actually sponsoring a neo creator, a, a decentralized community studio, someone I had no relationship with. And I actually asked the team to introduce me to a variety of studios. And my criteria was very simple. I want to meet studios that are successful with their own native brands, that have created product themselves, and they have succeeded at selling it to their community. And that is the team that's going to teach me and my real life fashion designer how to engage with this community. So we're the we're the students in the process because we're learning how to design garments for mm -hmm. this community and their virtual world native brand creator. And so that's been fascinating for me. It's one of the most fun things I've done in a long time is sitting through the creative process with them. Wow. Yeah. It's a very open way of kind of thinking about this, which I think we should all adopt is really go to, you know, the the fundamentals and go into the community and and see what's what's engaging. And the the thing about this industry that I find so interesting is it it changes so quickly. And you really have to have your ear to the ground in terms of all of the things that are happening within not only your community, but just the, the Web3 community at large, just on the technology side, as well as, you know, culturally what's catching and what's coming. You know, one question I have is, you know, I think we, we touched on it a bit before we, we started, but, you know, the economy is definitely in a different place than it was earlier in, in 2022. And, you know, this year as, you know, I think there's a little bit more stability, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, as, as brands are looking at the metaverse, is there a difference from 2022, you know, January to now, like, how are they thinking about this in terms of, you know, what they want to do in the metaverse? How, how risky is it? Is, is there, is there any kind of concern or is this, is this as exciting as it was a year ago? I think there are a lot of different things. I think there was a period of time when mm -hmm. brands felt a little bit of FOMO, and I hate to use that word, but actually mm -hmm. I was my keynote in 2022 in Davos. Initially, they wanted me to speak about NFTs for fashion beyond the FOMO. We changed the title, but I thought it was very interesting coming from a, a blockchain experience in Davos because it was everybody was globally talking about brands are feeling FOMO. 
I think that was an oversimplification of, of what was happening. I think brands were suffering by limitations imposed by the pandemic. People mm-hmm. couldn't shop in a physical form. In the United States, we were you know, very limited. And then they couldn't shop online the same way because we had a lot of limitations in shipping and everything was disrupted, right? So even if you bought something online, it would take an extra two weeks to arrive. So there was a, a moment of we have to do something. And that something was there waiting for them. It's not like the NFT world hadn't been around. The, the creators were still there before, but there was less necessity for adoption. It was always getting pushed to next year, next quarter, next budget. Mm-hmm. I think a little bit of the disruption we had in 2020, 2021 forced all the creators to pay attention, big and small. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it went to the other extreme, right? There was so much focus on it because there was money being made. Yeah, I don't think that every activation and every product was properly valued or properly mm-hmm. priced. And so I think a little bit of what we saw in 2022 was that natural adjustment mm-hmm. and the natural correction that we all knew was coming and that was gonna affect product and branding and fashion. Mm-hmm. That coupled with some crashes and you know in the crypto market and create and some fear and some things that come with adoption right some things there's sure. always going to be some things that happen that accelerate regulation and accelerate rules that maybe were not there at the very beginning it created a little bit of a break i think all of that is wonderful and it has to happen it's happened with every innovative technology but we need regulation we need rules we need processes that relate to the real world in the fashion industry you know when when i did my very first metaverse product activity mm-hmm. i think they thought i was crazy because they wanted <laughs> to be digital and i was asking things like are we talking about sales taxes here is the product being shipped and from where to where and what is the pos fee and people were thinking why are you asking this well if you're going to touch the real world of product, these things matter to the product makers. And when you look at the at the performa, that's what really kills the deal sometimes. And so mm-hmm. the fact that we went through all of that and the fact that we are now in a more focused and a more intelligent approach to these projects is magnificent. I think in 2023, what we're seeing is a lot of the people who tried it mm-hmm. and who are seeing the potential of it and the ones who didn't but are learning from the ones who did are very excited to do it but they're also very excited to do it right so a lot Uh of what i get is who are the people who have the right product what are the right ecosystems who are the people i can trust there is a concern about trust and what is the financial analysis behind this like you know Mm -hmm. what is it going to cost me how do i monetize this experience all the wonderful questions that were not present in every meeting, to be honest, in 2022. And so I think it's very exciting to know that it's being taken seriously. And, you know, companies are seeing it as a real revenue source and a real business plan opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's, you know, certain things that happen in the market that were actually kind of in some ways beneficial because they kind of cleared out a lot of noise and then made brands a lot more aware of what 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 is working what what are certain things that have shown promise and and also 
to have, you know, strategies in place, as you said, that really kind of look at their approach to the market, taking into account some of these questions and other things that overseeing all of the activity and seeing all of the the things that worked and the things that didn't work, giving them a, a just a much more strategic sound approach to entering this market. I, I, I think that we're having a lot smarter conversations about where we're going with the metaverse. So that's that's pretty exciting. For sure. And I think it's getting better. It does because I think also everybody's tying it. When you tie, look, I always say when people used to call me in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic, people I got a lot of calls. It was like the first six months, it was like, okay, this was fun for us. <laughs> what are we doing? It was a lot of people calling to say, help me enter the metaverse. I used to joke that it's a tunnel, right? Like the tunnel to the, we, we even had this video we created a bit as a joke. It's like, this is the tunnel to the metaverse. I gotta um, watch that. Yeah, actually, one of my colleagues at Fijica, who comes from the fashion industry, we created one night this crazy video and it was like the tunnel to the metaverse because it felt like everybody thought it was like the entering this like mystery place. But to be honest, it was more like I need to be there. I would say to people, why? Why do you want to know about this? You're not asking me about quantum computing. You're not asking me about, you know, augmented reality. You're not asking me about artificial intelligence. You're asking me about entering the metaverse. And I could tell it was a little bit of that fear that there's something new coming and we're missing it and it's going to you know, prices out of the market or kill our market share. I think now there's a little bit more of, you know, okay, this is a new technology and it's here to solve a problem. So what are the problems I'm trying to solve? So if my problem as a brand or as a retailer is that I'm losing market share because younger customers don't behave like the customers of the 90s, right? Or the two, early 2000s. They behave like community members and I don't have a community to offer. Mm-hmm. I just sell product mm-hmm. and I don't have a shared system of values with them. How do I do that? with the metaverse. That is a fun conversation to have with the brand. It's like, okay, tell me about your brand DNA. Why should a young person believe that buying your product is a choice they should make over buying a product that looks just like it, but they don't relate to it? Mm-hmm. I think relating to how we spend time, this is, I, I love numbers, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think people who know me know I love statistics and I love numbers because mm-hmm. that's really what drives at the end of the day business decisions. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important to look at how people spend their time. Somebody just mm-hmm. presented me with some astounding numbers that show how middle-aged women in my country spend time uh, on mobile phones playing video games, right? I love that because that, okay, so if I'm trying to sell product to Andrea, how much time does Andrea spend in the physical world? How much time does she spend on a mobile phone playing a game? How much time does she spend on a desktop? Because if Andrea doesn't use the desktop much, why am I only focusing on trying to capture her attention on a platform that she's not going to access, that is not practical. So really understanding your community is key. And I think that's where you use the term, which I love, because we used to talk about digital native brands and we talk about metaverse native brands. Metaverse native brands can teach sometimes a lot to physical brands that are trying to enter the space because they understand how their community spends time, what makes them excited to attend an event or not. 
I'm not a big fan of creating events that are like the direct copy of the physical world because that's mm-hmm. very forced, right? We're not building Legos here, like a physical Legos. I'm a huge fan of Lego, but we're not trying to create a copy and then say, okay, you have to be in it, but you don't know why you're creating an environment of interaction. You're creating an environment of, you know, why am I there? Why do I have to use this world to access something that mm-hmm. is fun? It's exciting. It has an emotional connection with me. It makes me want to shop. You know, I used to give talks to the retail industry and the fashion industry more than a decade ago when, when you know, we were looking at tourism shopping and we mm-hmm. were looking about why why people buy in certain places. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that hard to understand why you sometimes spend a little more when you're on vacation. You're relaxed, mm-hmm. you're happy, you are celebrating, and you lower your inhibitions. So the same item that you may be looking to buy on sale at home, when you're in a beautiful resort, in a beautiful setting, and somebody offers you a beautiful drink with a little umbrella, and you're sitting there saying, okay, of course, I knew this other dress. That That's not, there's science behind that. And it, and it has to do with what makes us consume certain products. Fashion has a lot to do with self-representation. It has to do with mood. It has to do with the image you want to portray. And so, you know, we used to talk to our retailers and our fashion brands from luxury to, to affordable brands. We used to coach them on how to curate their stores in Vegas. We mm-hmm. I was involved with the biggest landlord of mm-hmm. real estate in, in Nevada and Hawaii. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's like, do not try to curate your, your luxury store the same way you do mm-hmm. for New York City because the same customer, when they come to Vegas, they're looking for a different experience. And that's 20 years ago. Well, we I think about virtual worlds like that new market. And if you apply the same fundamentals, what I want to shop, how I want to shop in, mm-hmm. in a virtual world is different from the way I shop in a physical store in my town. So I think this is where I love to say, go back to the fundamentals, go back to mm-hmm. what what has built the industry. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of legacy in retail and fashion, and we can learn a lot from the good operators and mm-hmm. a lot from the good brands and a lot from the great uh, creators. Now, the creator aspect of it is a challenging one for brands because mm-hmm. I think the access that I talked about earlier, yeah, that's everyone. And I am so excited. I find amazing product from creators that I wouldn't have met if not for Web3 and the metaverse and some of the activities mm-hmm. in who are now taking that creativity to physical product. So I think mm-hmm. if anything, there's more competition for talent and the talent can can own their, you know, their creation and can say, you know, I'm not going to live by your rules. I create my own way of presenting product. And I think that forces the smart brands are watching the process and they're embracing it and they're collaborating because that's mm-hmm. the way you're going to create a, a more valuable product. So it is a challenge for the brands to get it right. And you can't get it wrong. You actually have to accept that there is a new economy out there and and it enables access that we didn't have before. But I think it's going to make better product. And mm-hmm. again, I love to talk about sustainability because if you're in the apparel business, you have to consider that the time has come to maybe buy less. Of You don't need so much repetitive product that you don't use and then gets discarded, but focus on quality purchases. And I think not a Gen Zer by far, I'm not, but I love Gen Zer's approach to, to purchasing. It's sort of owning the idea of 
who's behind that product, who made it, mm-hmm. what it means, what it represents for me. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to buy it, if I'm not renting it, if I'm, I really yeah. want it, it means something. So I think the new creator economy is here. It's not for mm-hmm. the future. There yeah. is a new economy that exists and we and we all we can all participate and benefit from it. That's the good news for the existing industry. Yeah, you bring up a really awesome point is, you know, as we all can participate in it and be part of it and make these decisions about who's behind it, you know, would love to hear your thoughts on how anyone, any customer can be part of creating the product, whether it's a fashion product or any, you know, metaverse native product. You know, I think the beauty of this industry and what's happening now is that we can all become stakeholders in the brand, in owning products that the brand is partnered in. And what's your thoughts on where that's going? I mean, we see some stuff with Nike that they've already started doing, but what what, what do you think, you know, is the future of, you know, user generated, user kind of co-created products? Listen, I think a lot of it started with Web2, right? And I think the ushering of customer created experiences and peer-to-peer validation with Web2 mm-hmm. It changed the industry. The mm-hmm. fact that brands had to pay attention to the fact that consumers were community members and they wanted to see themselves represented, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, when people would watch videos on TikTok and Instagram and all of the ver- various Web2 platforms. And it, it was puzzling, I think, for the for the retail industry at first. And then they got it right away. If you see yourself represented, if you see something that is representative of what you would like to wear, what you're thinking, then you, you're more incentivized to buy. I think the metaverse activities that are very broad and there are many uh, in the creator tools that will exist expands that because while... You know, there are amazing platforms like Etsy, for example. When mm-hmm. Etsy came to the, the fold, it was disruptive. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you can have a mom in Omaha who makes bracelets. Be a retailer now, right? Like, you can find yeah. great product. I remember my girlfriends who are in the retail and fashion industry finding product from individual creators. Imagine taking all of that now to the Web3 space where you're also an owner, as you said. You can also teach the consumer that you're mm-hmm. a member of the company, you're a stakeholder. I used to tell mm-hmm. my friends, kids years ago, if you really love this brand so much, don't ask for money for your birthday. Ask your parents to buy you stock in the company. <laughs> Very smart. You can like then get yeah. at that report and see what they're doing. This is what we're living with now. You can be part of the community. You can be part of the NFT community, know that NFT and understand what that means and understand the mm-hmm. access. I always tell people, if you, whatever you do with, NFT communities, think about the access that that unlocks for -hmm. your customer. So if, you know, we didn't have that before and then give them a chance to participate and co-create. I think at at the the, the highest level of co-creation, what I'm seeing, and obviously I'm involved with a platform that is all about independent designers and creators coming under Mm -hmm. the umbrella of people from a luxury fashion brand that, Mm -hmm. that know the ecosystem. And we're saying, we're making all of these tools available to you. Mm -hmm. It's saying, look, The world is changing. So instead of having a world where brands are only made a certain way, Mm -hmm. right, and dictated by a certain team of Mm -hmm. of qualified, you know, designers, we are creating a collective. So our physical brand 
or it's based on collective of designers. And now in the digital side of things is saying, we're going to give you the tools. You need to first learn to use the tools mm-hmm. and to co-create. So part of what I'm building uh, in, in the Web2 platform of, of, of Faith Tribe that we're going to launch memberships very soon is actually that. It's saying, even if you don't know, if you're a consumer, but you don't mm-hmm. Think you want to design something and you don't know how to use the tools. You're going mm-hmm. to be able to buy access to the tools from from famous companies that are doing mm-hmm. this for well-known brands in small amounts that are not you know crippling in cost, and mm-hmm. to test the tools to to maybe collaborate with a physical artist that joins as a community. So our community, our memberships, we're targeting everybody who's a creator. You can be mm-hmm. a physical artist, physical designer, digital creator, fashion designer fashion manufacturer, anybody who is a fashion creator or collaboration partner, like a lot mm-hmm. of the artists that collaborate with brands, mm-hmm. join the community, learn the tools. And then you decide, maybe you decide that you're a magnificent partner to somebody who makes leather jackets from another part of the world who could use your art, digitize mm-hmm. it, and create something with the same shared values. So I think, mm-hmm. A, for mm-hmm. independent designers that mm-hmm. in many ways have not achieved that retailer or seller status, the tools are here to create this collaboration. For customers that want to be designers, I think you're going to see, my prediction is you're going to see more and more brands mm-hmm. doing in different capacities what you're seeing from Nike and inviting yeah. the consumer to be involved, which mm-hmm. Nike's been doing for years, right? In yeah. the physical world. I remember the first, I know some of the people involved with the original customization of Nike shoes. And then you're going to see from from the native brands that are part of the metaverse, I think you're going to see a lot of what I'm exploring now and saying, okay, if you're creating great product for your virtual world, and there's different rules in different in different communities, mm-hmm. if you allow me to learn what your community likes about what you create, mm-hmm. I have a list of brands that are dying to collaborate with you, to learn from you, and to lend their brand exposure, knowledge, and their customers from the real world who are also very afraid of what you're doing because they want to learn how it works. And that's where, you know, a lot of the collaborations I'm involved with now are Mm -hmm. really designed to educate and illustrate the fact that we can bring, you know, brands, creators, designers from the physical world Mm -hmm. to these metaverse native creators. Mm -hmm. And and coming, I would say we're coming in peace. We're coming to learn from you. We're coming because what works in physical environments may not work in a community. And if I learn what works in that community, we can co-create. So a lot of what you're going to see from Digico's methodology is co-creation of product using both. And also, by the way, reinventing and reimagining heritage product that is Mm -hmm. too difficult to recreate in a physical world. Mm -hmm. But Virtual worlds give it a second life, right? So, and experiences. There are a lot of parts of the world I used to travel to that I can't go to anymore. Geopolitical issues have limited where some of the places we go. So I love it when a virtual world can can bring me to those places because I think that's that exploration. You know, when I was growing up, we only had books. My late father was a publishing executive, so we are, we're always surrounded by books. And I'm awesome. a big uh, I love books, but I'll be the first one to tell you the digital version is much more fun. So so that's for me, it's all about exploration. 
So I'm going to close by asking you a couple of questions. I think you actually gave me a hint of, of one of those questions. I'm a big reader as well. You know, if you could invite anyone in the world, in history, to have lunch with you, who, who would that be? And, you know, again, it could be an author, it could be anyone, you know, what would you want to learn from that person? Oh, anyone in history. As a young person, I uh, used to be fascinated by Jorge Luis Borges and, mm-hmm. and imagination. You know, some mm-hmm. of the books that he wrote that were, in a way, uh, dreams about worlds that relate a lot to the virtual worlds we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. And I, I, one of the things I remember being a young person and reading, like, how can he think and dream these worlds? I would love, if he were alive today, to ask him, you know, were you ahead of our time? Like, you know, I do think that there's some people who have that that moment of genius and they mm-hmm. and they connect the dots and they and they can see a lot of the things that a lot of you, the leaders of of of, of the metaverse space are building. They just didn't have the tools. So so I, I would want to think more. I mean, there's so many people I would, you know, want to meet with. Today, I would say from the people in the world today, somebody asked me who I would invite to lunch today. I said, you know, if I don't know who that person is, but if there is a person that can show to me that they're using Web3 for good in an extraordinary way, to, and mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of people out there who are doing so, I would gladly take them to lunch and and spend time because this is where I think it's going to be the most transformative is mm-hmm. uh, I think the new technology is going to, the access we talked about is going to give access to to so many people who are truly marginalized. And when you can do mm-hmm. that, then you're really changing the world. So uh, to me is uh, whoever and whoever is watching, you know, you guys I'm sure will provide my my contact details, reach out to me because that's a big part of what I'm looking for is, you know, how are you using metaverse to, to, to change the world? And there's a lot of changing needed today. Yeah, I totally agree. I love that. And, you know, just a final question, and you talk about a lot of the places you've lived in the world and places that you want to go in the world. And, you know, again, our at Superworld, our, our vision is to enable people to be able to create, discover, and monetize and own the world around them. Where in the world, if you could buy virtual real estate in Superworld, where, where, where's the spot in the world that's special to you? Well, that's a tricky one. I traveled a lot around the world as a young person because of my father's work. And so I was exposed to a lot of places at a young age. My family traveled a lot. And it's interesting where I would like to travel to is space, to be honest. And I studied aerospace engineering because I was fascinated with space and what it would take to get to space, right? And I don't know if we will see this in my lifetime, in our lifetime, but I do think that a place that we it's not so easy to access, but we can access with satellite and with images. And where I'd mm-hmm. like to, I would love to experience a virtual experience of space. The other answer I would give you that is more mm-hmm. close to things that you guys are able to to build easier mm-hmm. is I love to hike. I think people mm-hmm. who follow me on social media know mm-hmm. I, for a variety of reasons i'm not a skier anymore but i hike and i like to mm-hmm. hike in the snow and i can only reach certain mountains and i'm not physically able to to climb everest anymore uh-huh. or mountains like that so i would love to buy real estate in the mountains where 
I can't go in my physical self, but uh-huh. I would own the real estate on places where I know people are trying to develop in the physical world. And uh, mm-hmm. I think for me, it's all about the places you can't access. In the, in the Those are the ones that are most interesting to me. The ones I cannot physically access today. If I could access them virtually and own a piece of it virtually, that that's 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 the power of the technology. Amazing. Amazing. So you'd, you'd get some places in the Himalayas or something in the Absolutely. mountains. Yeah. I would like to improve yeah. the base camp structure. <laughs> I would love to uh, <laughs> build it much nicer. I have a friend who she'll laugh if she watches this, that's going to be going back to base camp. And I said, you know, the conditions that I've never been in, the conditions that they describe, I'm like, have you thought about it? building this. So yeah, I would love to own the virtual version for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, thank you so much for being on today and and telling us your very inspirational stories and and also about kind of what the future of of the industry and where it's going. And, you know, again, really appreciate all the work that you're doing to build a better world. I love people like you that I really, one thing I said in a call this morning is that one thing I like about this industry is that people like to cooperate and collaborate and reach out. And, and I love that. We didn't have that for a long time. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, we're both, you know, we're an outlier ventures company as well. I know you're a mentor there. So thanks for all the work you're doing in the community. Where, where can people find out about you? What's the best way to, you know, find you online or, or in the metaverse? So Fijicode's website is going to start uh, giving much more updates about what we're doing. So Fijicode, www.fijicode.io is, as well as at Fijicode on, mm-hmm. on Instagram and Twitter, we're going to launch a program of information and updates very soon because we, as of April, we're going to launch a lot of the activities that I alluded to and the verticals of, of our efforts and some of the luminaries work is going to be there. And if you want to learn about our work with Faith Drive, we just launched faithdrive.market. And Mm -hmm. that is going to be where all of the information for creators, for the launch of the community uh, memberships is going to be happening. And so stay tuned because in the next couple of months, if there are creators out there that want to join us and that want to learn more, there's going to be a whole community infrastructure, you know, being developed. So, and for me personally, I'm not a, a huge uh, Twitter user. I don't, you know, I I don't uh, like to say too many things on social media, but I do respond to emails and I do respond to messages on LinkedIn. And so anybody who wants to reach out can, can find me and it may take me a, a few days, but I do like to hear from people who are building. And I like to hear from people in my industry and people in other industries. And, and if I can help, I always like you have a lot of friends who are Many of them so smart, so much smarter than than I am that I would love to connect them with the community. So I always like to say, if you you know, reach out and if I can't help you, if I think there's something good to be done, we have a lot of communities that that we're part of. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building a Better World. For more, Search Building a Better World in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Superworld, thanks for listening.